1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Um, glad to have you all with us today. If you heard the opening of the show, you heard me say that Governor Kemp is right now holding a news conference that ought to be getting started about now to announce first steps in his health care proposals for the state. We're going to talk... About what we know so far, little about it, and uh, many other issues that are on the political agenda for today. Joining us, uh, Audrey Haynes, political science professor from the University of Georgia. She also runs the applied political science program, which trains I uh, people. students to go into careers in politics.
0: Yes. And a shout out to a lot of them because they are at uh, the U.S. Capitol right now working for Cuomo, Gillibrand, Isaacson, and a whole slew of them are at the uh, Golden Dome right now interning in a bevy of positions and i wish them luck they're learning a lot
1: i wore an applied uh, political science t-shirt to work out in today audrey because i knew much. you were going to be yes. here <laughs> here are two people who can tell us whether you really want to have a career in politics or not sam olins uh the former attorney general of the state of georgia before that the chairman of the cobb county commission uh now an attorney at denton's the world's largest law firm hi sam
2: Good morning, sir. Thank you. Good afternoon. It's all right.
1: That's fine. That's fine. Uh, And with him, Michael Thurman, the CEO of DeKalb County. Your credits, we could go way back. You were a legislator from Athens is how you got your start. Well,
3: actually, Bill Nygut discovered me on the back bench of the Georgia House of Representatives. He called me out one day, put me on WSB Channel 2. And the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. So, so thanks, B, It's your fault.
1: So, for the people in DeKalb County who are not happy with you as CEO, they can call me up, tell me. But I think they probably are. It's very quiet out in DeKalb these no, days.
3: I was quiet, sitting in the back of the chamber, minding my own business. <laughs> and Nigel just couldn't leave me alone. Yeah.
1: So. All right. So, uh, Mike Thurman, of course, was also a state labor commissioner under uh, Roy Barnes, Governor Roy Barnes. He ran for Senate, U.S. Senate in 2000. 10. You were the DeKalb County School Superintendent. You've been all over the map.
3: Oh, yes. And I served eight years as Labor Commissioner during uh, Sonny Perdue's term. Oh, was it
1: Sonny Perdue? No, it was Roy
3: Barnes the first four years and Governor Perdue the
1: last eight. All right. So let's talk. Um, Stephen Fowler of GPB News is down at the Capitol uh, at the news conference, but he's sending us some information on what the governor is talking about we've waited for a long time sam during the campaign the governor made it clear he had no intention of expanding medicaid it was on the other hand Stacey abrams uh, most important issue throughout the campaign and so i think people are are particularly eager to figure out just what he wants to do with this issue uh now when we're getting our first indications of it let me uh sam i'm going to give you first shot at this but here's what uh, fowler reports Uh, In the news conference, the governor was expected to say, of course, no chance of full expansion. He had, uh, again, campaigned against full expansion. Um, There will be a consultant hired at a million dollars in in the supplemental budget to pay for it. They're saying it's a 12 to 18 month project to research specific Georgia laws, data sets, look at other states, that sort of thing. And there is... The chance that they're looking at a plan, a waiver, Sam, that would allow for supplemental payments to people who buy insurance on the exchanges, but for whom it's a a, a long reach, as well as perhaps some expansion of Medicaid in a very limited way uh, based on people who have behavioral or mental health issues. So what do you think when you hear the very beginnings of this?
2: A positive. I mean, I appreciate the governor uh, moving forward. I think a lot of Georgians support such action. Uh, I'm reminded of the efforts of the Georgia Chamber uh, and uh, their research and their reports with regard to needing to uh, really help rural hospitals. And I I hope this bodes well for the health of our state. Mike?
3: Uh, Absolutely. And and you mentioned that, but uh, some credit obviously goes to Stacey Abrams, who— carried the flag as well as others on the progressive uh, spectrum who long advocated for an expansion of medical coverage uh, for Georgians who are currently uninsured. It's a step in the right direction. And even though uh, I would uh, predict that the governor's incremental step, once considered by the House and the Senate, will expand because there's always energy and impetus to covering more people uh, with various needs and or illnesses. So it's a step in the right direction, a uh, long time coming, and it, and I agree with Sam, very good for the state of Georgia.
0: Well, and I would just follow up that there are always a couple of dimensions to this. You know, one is the good governing dimension. Of course, it's a problem, and they they're recognizing it, and they're attempting at least incrementally and carefully to do something about it. And I would say it's more likely to stick if they do invest the time and effort and reach some consensus. On the other side, there's this political dimension. When you look at uh, what establishment, uh, high ranking politicians are saying about uh, covering people who have pre existing conditions, mm. access to insurance, it is a smart political move to co op that issue away from Democrats because Democrats use it very effectively in elections.
1: So um, let me uh, weigh in with one more piece of information. Within the last 20 minutes, the governor's office put out a news release. First of all, they're calling this the Patients' First Act. It's going to be introduced uh, by the governor's floor leader in the Senate, Senator Blake Tillery, who's uh, from Vidalia. And here's a quote from uh, Kemp. The Patients' First Act is a step toward lowering insurance premiums, enhancing access to quality care, and improving health outcomes in every part of the state. By working with other leaders, uh, Lieutenant Governor Duncan, Speaker Ralston, and the legislature will craft a Georgia-centric healthcare system that ensures a bright and healthy future for all Georgians, no matter their future, uh, no matter their zip code. Uh, but, but Mike Thurman, uh, you know, I t- a couple of interesting uh, uh, observations. Number one, we just heard Audrey say this is an incremental step. We have no reason to believe that the governor is going to is planning on finding ways to expand Medicaid uh, in, in increasing increments over the next four years. His people have made it clear over and over again that any kind of expansion will be very limited. Is and so to say that this takes an issue away from Democrats in 2020, I'm not sure is correct.
3: Well, yes, but to Audrey's <laughs> point, I, I thought when what she really was describing was triangularization. Which was made famous by Bill Clinton. And when you really think about it, much of 2018 was a referendum on healthcare in Georgia. And major uh, segments of the voting population spoke very loudly that this is an issue that they do support. And I think it is a defensive move uh, by Governor Kemp, by the Republicans, recognizing that unless they actually take some affirmative step, the, the, the clamor will grow and they will continue as Republican leaders to be on the defensive on this issue.
1: Well, that may be. But, Sam, if it is very, very limited in terms of the waiver for expansion, then Democrats will continue to pound away at Governor Kemp. They've made it clear they're going to have an, aggr- an aggressive posture toward him in all matters. And, and Medicaid expansion will certainly be one of them.
2: So, look, first of all, Governor Deal sought to consider an expansion, but at the time the Obama administration had a five-year out that they unilaterally could either agree to the previously approved plan or it was out. It was only their plan is passed in the ACA. That was a killer. With regard to Governor Kemp, his plan apparently would assess somewhere between what 600 and eight hundred thousand Georgians. That's not a small number. I mean that's a sizable amount of our population of our adult population that needs that protection I,
1: we haven't seen that number yet if you have I, I'm not aware that he's gotten that to that point yet but um...
2: there's been some uh, discussion whether it's accurate inaccurate it, it, it's a sizable number from what I've seen so far. I, I think the other issue is, With regard to the CEO's comment, the fact that the Republican Party spent so much time to solely repeal the Affordable Care Act with not protecting pre-existing conditions, I thought was far worse when it came to the 2018 election results. So I think from a policy perspective, you know, you can't just every day say we fell one vote short because Senator McCain switched votes, you have to give those folks that need the protection that protection. Audrey,
1: to reinforce your feeling that perhaps this is, a, is taking an issue away from Democrats as we approach the 2020 cycle, is that time frame for the consultant, 12 to 18 months. Uh, that means that anywhere from a year to now, uh, from now, when we really are starting to ramp up the the elections of 2020 or even 18 months from now, which will put us even closer to the elections. They're suggesting they're going to have something they can uh, uh, roll out that may take the issue away from Democrats.
0: It may. And you know what, let me just put a little context to this. You know, (laughs) words matter. and, And when it comes to policy, you would be so surprised at how many people really do not have a lot of information. We, we make a lot of assumptions, but if it's in a soundbite, bite, if, if we say we're doing it, that's all they need, that's what they accept, that's how they will buy in, especially if, you know, it doesn't take a lot to move public opinion sometimes because these issues are very complex and complicated. There's a lag time between when people learn about them. Think about how much money is spent in an election to drive home one point. But now you have the governor talking about it. You have people talking about it. It's going to be in the legislature. They're going to start associating movement on health care generally with, oh, the Republicans are doing something about that. And if the Democrats don't push back and frame it in a way that is simple and understandable and penetrates all the noise, then they may actually co-opt that issue.
3: Well, the downside is this. You've crossed the Rubicon. If two years from now we have the same number of Georgians uninsured, then you will be exposed as a political hypocrite. Mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. point that's very important is that he has not only committed himself, but he's committed the entire Georgia Republican Party. So Republicans who may be in conservative or district that are threatened will now have to own this. Come 2020. And, and
0: that is important. Uh, and I do want to say, when they do it, you know, for in the short run, it works. But if you don't do something about the problem, there can be a backlash.
2: You know, at a prior show, I, I mentioned that uh, Governor Kemp and I were at uh, a Galeo meeting, Georgia Association of Latino Elected Officials. We were the only two there. Um, and that uh, we took a lot of grief for it, but it was the right thing to do. If you look at the governor's Judicial Nominating Committee, and if you look at his Georgia First Committee, it is uh, replete with minority citizens of our state, uh, more so than I've ever seen in in our state before. Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, African Americans, th- this governor on his initial uh, Rollout. Rollout is doing what few said the Republican Party should do. And he, in fact, is way in the lead in that regard. He, he won't get credit for it by definition, but he deserves well, he credit for it. He should get
3: credit for it, but who should really get credit for it are the thousands, tens of thousands who went out and voted in November mm-hmm. and spoke at the ballot box. Voting does matter, mm-hmm. uh, and if enough people can vote for what is right, politicians, no matter what the stripe or party, will respond to it. Why so, do you?
1: Go ahead, finish your. No, I, I that's, that's, it. that's That it. is very true. Which, wait, Sam. Why do you say that he won't get credit for it? What, what, what's your point there?
2: Because as much as a Republican uh, seeks to promote diversity, cheap shots will still follow. You're only doing it due to the electorate. You're only doing it because you didn't have a choice. Are you saying that specifically in
1: regard to how, say, the media covers uh, min- r- the Republican Party and minorities? Uh, because certainly the media, by the end of his second term, uh, praised Nathan Deal for having accomplished an awful lot. I just want to make
0: sure and, you're and, not. And he received quite a few votes, probably from some people who are Democrats or oh, leaning independents. And
3: Democrats, this one in particular, noted
2: and, and acknowledged his work in a more broader context. I'm just saying that in our state there are plenty of white male leaders who talk diversity but don't do it. And this new governor is doing it with his pick of appointments to date big time.
1: So uh, it, this, this um, news conference underway right now comes on the same day that we're getting some interesting reporting, uh, Sam Olin's. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, in the, it, it, we're hearing, uh, went to see his doctor at some point and in talking with his doctor, made it clear that he believes that 2018 was all about health care and Republicans lost because of health care. Your reaction to that?
2: Well, as I said before, I think the whole idea that we're going to repeal the ACA without anything else in its place was absolutely foolish.
0: Yes. And with Kevin McCarthy, I think that there is some uh, animosity between him and the Freedom Caucus. And the Freedom Caucus is, you know, one of the culprits of a lot of that activity, um, pulling their party, uh, you know, to the right on some of those issues, too, especially regarding health care.
3: And I don't think it takes away from anyone, elected official or not, who responds to voter sentiment. That doesn't undercut the value. That's
0: democracy. That is
3: democracy, <laughs> right. That's that's the way it should work. And the politicians <clears throat> should be sensitive and responsive to voter sentiment, and they speak at the voting box. That doesn't undermine the value of what Governor Kemp is doing. It just says he's a good politician, which doesn't negate the fact, you know, that he is doing it to protect and preserve. It's not that he's immoral for doing it. He's just a politician. We all are.
0: And sometimes doing the right thing is the right political move, too. Absolutely.
1: All right, let's uh, uh, move on. Uh, Stephen Fowler may or may not, depending on his deadlines for filing for GPB Radio, call in at the end of the show to tell us a little bit more about the governor's news conference. So we'll wait to see if that unfolds or not. But in the meantime, uh, Audrey, the, uh, we, we think we're now getting reporting that suggests that the conference committee uh, dealing with border security, the, the Trump money, now only $1.3 billion, uh, the number of beds that ICE will have to hold undocumented immigrants, all of that is coming closer and closer. They're having a couple of interesting problems. One of them— Uh, apparently is over whether or not federal contractors who lost pay uh, during the shutdown are in fact going to be compensated employees already are but the other is over the defense of women act which expires uh, it expired actually before the last shutdown the republicans are pushing for a temporary short-term extension and interestingly enough the democrats are saying no we want a full-blown long-term extension and don't want to accept anything less. So that's where they seem to be. The House really is hoping that they're going to be able to vote by tomorrow night because they need to get it to the Senate and finished by Friday, Friday. right?
0: Yes. yes. So, you know, one thing I would mention with uh, all of that information that you provided, this is one of the reasons that you have a deliberative legislative branch. When you put such a short-term deadline and you force this type of discussion to legislate so quickly, it's very difficult. In my view, they should have focused on the appropriations, uh, homeland security, that should have been focused upon. And, you know, so all of these other dimensions, these roadblocks, these discussions are problematic, and they really should take place out of that appropriations Um I mean, really, even border security should be done with long term investment um, and they should build in transaction costs that, you know, where people are really involved so that it will, again, stick. And let me just say everything that I have heard so far about this deal. If I were President Trump, I'd be pretty happy because when you evaluate what is going on here, it doesn't seem like the Democrats are getting a lot out of this, you know, he may be getting less money than he asked for, but he is getting money. That um, the the ice bed situation they're talking about no cap, so it really is not something that fundamentally um, does anything real. It's an interesting idea. They are also talking about constraints on you know where the wall can be located, environmental concerns, but they're not getting anything long term in terms of like a DACA relief. So. I mean, it could be very easily spun by the Trump administration that this was a win for us.
1: So, OK, given what Audrey <laughs> just said, uh, the president doesn't like the deal, but he uh, he's apparently decided he's not going to uh, uh, hold back. He's not going to veto it. He'll approve it. He doesn't want another shutdown. And Republican members of uh, the Georgia delegation, <clears throat> Sam, are kind of are uh, in a wait and see. David Perdue says, I'm not sure I want to hear more about what they're going to decide. He's, he also he wants to wait to hear what the president thinks about uh, all of this. Tom Graves has said he hasn't signed off on the reported deal. He's he's the only Georgian who's been part of this conference committee. Uh, Jody Heiss says he's still waiting for the final text. Johnny Isaacson spokespeople say he's probably going to support it. So all that said, are, is this a vote that will produce any kind of winner or loser for any member of Congress from Georgia or is is it is the our voters going to shrug and say fine whatever they did
2: Well look as far as Johnny Isaacson he's going to do what he thinks is right for sure. Georgia and our country <laughs> I think that's shown in the statement that you just uh, referenced uh, and I think it's going to pass and then I think the question is after it passes and the president signs it, Are he and the speaker going to be able to get together in a room and work on some other legislation that our country needs? As an aside, I apologize. But since we're here live. It's fine. uh, Your friend Greg Bluestein's new article with Ariel Hart references an audit. Covering as many as 535,000 newly eligible Georgians would join under his plan. Oh,
1: we're going back to Mrs. Yes. Bluestein reporting and Ariel Hart. Uninsured? reporting out of the news right. yes. conference. Yes. So they're saying okay.
2: 535,000 new Georgians, along with 40,000 who are now eligible. So under Greg and Ariel's article, it would be 575. Okay, that's that's a sizable number, and that's yeah. for, I apologize, yes. I went back, but no, that's fine. That's fine. No. Um,
1: let's, we'll, well, that's, thank you for, uh, reporting that. And, um, I look forward to reading that whole article. Can,
0: can I just what? mention two back to the wall?
1: Well, talk, wait, talk, let's go. No. What do you, uh, Oh yeah. let's well, try to stay if, organized if, for a minute. If, <laughs> if
3: only the controversy and the shutdown had really been about border security, but it wasn't, it was politics. And I think if you just look at it as a raw political equation, unvarnished, the president lost because he made it a position where it's my wall or nothing. And what, remember, what members of the Republican Party in the House and the Senate and the Democratic Party said that that's not the path that we are going to travel on. That's why he seems a little ambiguous about even and disappointed in the outcome, because he should be. It was an all-or-nothing proposition. You said it's a deliberative body. It's also one of compromise,
0: Mm
3: -hmm. right? No one gets everything that he or she might want. So looking at it now, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you could send out an email blast to your constituents and say, hey, we won. Unless you had stated that I want $5 billion or nothing.
0: Oh, you know, and I don't disagree. But what I would say is he's likely going to spin it as a win anyhow. And, you know, if we look at that 55 miles of wall, he get that's $25 million per mile. I mean, it's a lot of money when we have a $22 trillion budget deficit. And, you know, he may spin it as a win, but it's going to have political ramifications. Well, and I don't think it helps the Republican Party. Well,
3: in the I, I may have been naive, but when I looked at the issue, I thought, you know, they need a wall and more electronic surveillance and more personnel. To me, that was the solution from day one, right? Any <clears throat> rational, reasonable person looking at a two thousand mile border would have said, "You know, you need some of both, and let's come up with a, issue, a compromise that we can finance at this point in time, and let's move on to the next issue."
0: Yeah, data-driven, right? Yes, where, where yeah, do you we need, need both?
3: It. Of course, mm-hmm. you need a wall in some areas, absolutely, but. At the border crossings, you really need more personnel. The wall won't help you at a border crossing.
1: So let me ask you the question that I asked Sam a few minutes ago, Mike, and then you can weigh in on this too, Audrey. Is there a price to pay for anybody in the Georgia congressional delegation, no matter how they vote on this, you can vote against the compromise, I suppose, if you're a Republican, saying we know that Trump didn't get the money he wanted, so we don't like this deal, and be fine, or you can vote for it and be fine. Is there any price to pay or no?
3: Well, Because of the way the districts are drawn, mm-hmm. it will negate or dilute any impact, except in one congressional district. An incumbent has already announced that he's not
1: running. Yeah, That's Rob right. Woodall says, I'm not going to run for real election. So
3: maybe he was the only one who could have been or would have been at risk as a result of a position on the wall, the others are more or less insulated.
0: That maybe in the Senate, you know, the statewide races maybe it potentially could come back to haunt them, but they're they're all safe in their primaries. All
1: right. Um, well, we're going to wait and see if the uh, if if the House and the Senate are able to get this done. They've got until midnight Friday night, and will if uh, other Georgia uh, legislators up there weigh in on this. We'll certainly talk about what they've decided to do on Friday's show. Let me turn to another. You know what? We better get a break out of the way. I just looked at the clock. Time's a-wasting. We need to get a break in. Let's do that. We'll come back with a lot more. I want to look at some local issues that this panel is really well-positioned to talk about. This is Political Rewind. Financial contributions from listeners like you are not the only gifts that keep GPB on the air. In fact, many listeners have already chosen to donate a used vehicle to GPB. We'll pick up your vehicle for free and send you the paperwork for your taxes. Get started today. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars. That's 877-GPB-1-CAR or gpb.org slash cars. And thanks.
3: In the year since the Parkland shooting, one survivor is still trying to find balance in her life.
1: It's very hard to have a normal high school experience while we still go to Stoneman Douglas, and
0: that's just what the reality is.
3: She's class president, but she's also the outreach director for March for Our Lives. Her story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
1: 4 till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org. Michael Thurmond, the uh, African-American community, particularly here in Georgia, has been for a very long time tried to call attention under the leadership of Tyrone Brooks, former state representative, who has for years and years pushed for uh, law enforcement, uh, FBI, state law enforcement, to reopen the case of the Moores-Ford Bridge lynchings. Uh, Without going into great detail, For two couples, two African American couples who lived in that community, they were having a dispute with uh, a white landlord out that way, according to all of the reporting, and uh, there was some violence involved in the the dispute, and the two couples were taken by someone never identified. Uh, to an area near the bridge and shot and murdered. Right? I got the basics of that yes, correct. Yes, the
3: person who actually took them there was identified yes. because he went on that bond. He got them out of jail and delivered them to be murdered.
1: Um, in two thousand, and there's a reason we're bringing it up now. Uh, and Sam, uh, uh, please jump in here. And Audrey, in two thousand seven. Greg Bluestein, who is not here because he's down at that news conference, when he was still with the Associated Press, got a hold of FBI uh, um, reporting and reported that at the time the FBI was investigating, so sometime in the late 40s, they believed it was possible that then-Governor Eugene Talmadge may have had a role— in goading the killers on because he wanted a racial incident like that. He was probably one of Georgia's most racist governors um, to help him win re-election. And he did, by the way, win Walton County. So that was 2007. It's never been proven, but the reason we bring it up to date now is that a federal court has just ruled that all of the grand jury testimony surrounding the Moore's Ford Bridge investigation now must be released. How important is that?
3: It's extremely important that all of the record as it exists is made available for public scrutiny. Now, we don't know yet whether or not the governor actually participated, but we do know that in the history of Georgia politics and Southern politics, that it was standard operating procedure to raise racial tensions uh, in the midst of elections in order to advance the political careers of racist segregationist politicians. If, in fact, it occurred, it would not have been an unusual event. Uh, it happened, and it's not just race. It, it was also anti-Semitism. <coughs> Those things were standard, fair, for Georgia politics. So I think it's important. I want to thank Tyrone Brooks, For And the local, I've been to the Moore's Ford event uh, over the years, and for the local leaders who have not and should not ever discontinue their advocacy, trying to, number one, get the truth out, and if any of the perpetrators are still alive, they should be brought to justice. Just an aside, my parents lived on the other side of the Broad River in Oconee County, in the High Shoals area. After the lynching, they moved to Clark County, Athens, where I was born. Out of fear. Out of fear. Large percentages of the black population in Oconee County, after that lynching, left Oconee County. Basically depopulated it to a great extent, in terms of African Americans, and moved to an urban area, which was Athens.
1: Okay, so Sam, I think... We should say there's a really strong parallel in the county that you spent so many years uh, working as a commission chair in. When Leo Frank, the Jewish businessman, was lynched in Marietta, uh, accused of a murder of a young factory worker who uh, he who was in his employ, Uh, a similar exodus took place with Jewish families in Atlanta, who no longer felt safe living in Atlanta. I didn't want to get too far from Moore's Ford Bridge, but that's an important parallel to uh, bring to light right now.
2: Look, similar to the issue uh, with Stone Mountain, you should never seek to erase history, and you should always seek to learn from history. There's no question in my mind, and I presume we would all agree, that the grand jury record should be released. It has been seventy-two years. It is more than time to release all that information. And if one of the arguments counter-release is you could cause other people to be in danger, well, the the Cobb experiences you reference, Bill. What happened was some of the leading families in Cobb County and Marietta, in particular, were involved in the lynching. They were the first ones to come forward and say. Oh, my God, it's terrible what my relatives did. It was totally wrong. Yeah. No defense. Absolutely atrocious. And everyone was very thankful for their comments. So I think if you're literally looking to help ease the pain, you release the records.
1: One of the people, by the way, up there, as, as you know full well, Sam, who uh, came forward was Roy Barnes, whose wife, Marie, was the granddaughter of one of the uh, leaders of that lynch mob. And Barnes was very straightforward. He came forward at any number of occasions to say that this was something that the family needed to be willing to expose.
2: Chuck Clay's family, Otis Brumby's family, there were no shortage of leading Marietta citizens involved. But the important thing was they all said how sorry they were for it. That's the appropriate statement. That's the way that you help heal the community. You don't hide it. I mean, my God, it's seventy-two years. Let's cover it in detail once and well, for all. And
3: don't under uh, appreciate the importance of Jewish leaders like Sam and others who were in positions of influence when all of this unfolded, and how they managed and responded to the situation.
1: Um, Audrey. I know that m- many, many people in this state have never heard of Moore's Ford Bridge oh, before.
0: You read my mind
1: right. but it has been an enormous but but nevertheless, for those who are aware of it, it's been an enormous stain ever since it occurred and ever since no one was ever brought to justice for those crimes. It's been an enormous stain on this state.
0: No, and and I would say it's heartbreaking in so many ways. And I and I would um, bring this back to young people um, and, and others. There is such a high level of ignorance as to what has come before, uh, a lack of knowledge. In fact, most people don't know how many lynchings have occurred in the South. They don't recognize how many young people, teenagers, 14, 15, 16 years old, were lynched by mobs. How many children watched this happen because it was treated almost like a social event? And that is a stain too. So many of the students I teach, um, we do a segment on this area and they are, you, you watch them as they see the documentaries and pictures and they don't believe that that could happen. But it hasn't been that long, right?
1: We we are not certain that the Justice Department – the Justice Department could very well appeal this ruling, uh, Sam. Uh, You, of course, have made it clear you hope they don't and that you would like to see these transcripts
2: come forward and be made public. uh, Uh, Absolutely. I mean there were an awful lot of lynchings in the southeast. Oh, absolutely. And any and all government records on any and all of those lynchings need – to be presented to the public.
3: There's an amazing museum now that has documented uh, the lynchings that occurred throughout the United States of America. Uh, I spoke with representatives from the DeKalb NAACP who came to visit me uh, two weeks ago, Teresa Hardy, uh, with a request that we establish markers for lynchings that occurred in DeKalb County.
0: And and I was going to say, you cannot understand the... you cannot understand the feelings and the, and the fear that some of your 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 colleagues in life have because they have lived under that kind of fear, right? I mean, if you you can't understand how an African American in your state can respond when they hear that, if you if you, what's the word I'm looking for when you approach that their feelings in a way where you don't have compassion, empathy, or understanding.
1: Mike, I believe that you're talking about the new lynching memorial in Montgomery. Uh, I believe, and there are certainly, there are DeKalb County lynchings that are uh, uh, memorialized as part of that. Yes, I, I believe that they're uh, offering counties like yours the opportunity to have something that comes out of the of uh, the memorial to bring back with you to your county, so your own uh, citizens can see, right? Am I got that I, no, right?
3: you're absolutely right. And uh, myself and the county commissioners, we are 100 percent in support of that effort. One of the things uh, Alder mentioned, I grew up with that fear. I remember the Lemuel Pen murder. That a,
1: a, tell everybody that what the that Lemuel
3: Pen was. was a. a, a, a African-American man, a former military veteran who came through Athens, Georgia, and uh, a group of Klansmen shot and killed him uh, in Madison County. I remember that. I remember the fear. I, it's not ancient history. Mm-hmm. It's history that everyone that in this room may have lived at some point in time. But the key is to learn from it. You can't learn from it if you hide it. We can learn from what happened at Moore's Ford. Right, and well, we can help teach people not to harbor racist uh, views and to perpetrate and seek to do violence to people you don't know, respect, or and understand. And with that
1: in mind, you've given me a perfect transition. Uh, there was a time—you uh, spent some time uh, in your role, not only as uh, CEO of the county, but also as a member of the board of the Stone Mountain uh, uh, Park is it Commission or it's whatever you call
3: Stone Mountain Memorial Association.
1: Association. And uh, there have been efforts that have been ongoing to try to do something, if not—we seem to have moved away from saying, let's get rid of the carvings on the side of the mountain. There are, there are some who would still like that to happen. But increasingly, thanks to some efforts on your part, uh, there has been an effort to, in fact, also pay tribute to Dr. Martin Luther King at the park— since we remember his words in the speech, Let Freedom Ring, from Stone Mountain. And now the Republican Attorney General of the state, who's going to be a guest on this show on Friday, Chris Carr, first Republican statewide elected official, to my knowledge, who's come out and said, let's do something. Let's put the bell tower on top of the mountain. Good idea?
3: Great idea. I talked to Chris late last week, and I thanked him for the courage uh, to speak the truth and to hopefully bring other members of his party and other people who may feel differently forward to recognize that Stone Mountain Park belongs to—it's owned by the taxpayers of the state of Georgia. That's all of us. Mm -hmm. There's a sign as you enter the park that says, Welcome to the the People's Park. Welcome to your park. Right? It belongs to all of us. We should have an inclusive narrative. One thing he said, addition is not subtraction.
1: Yeah. Well, this is exactly what you were saying, mm-hmm. Sam Mullins. We and can't Sam erase history. We yeah. have
2: to expand history. No, absolutely. And, and, and look, Chris was 100 percent right. Not only is he very well read, he's also very well learned through his experience working with Senator Isaacson. And uh, and I certainly applaud him for his action. But it's also my understanding that at this year's program on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, his talk resonated way before he started talking about the bell tower at Stone Mountain Memorial Park. Um, he talked about how all of Georgia needed to come together and recognize that the brilliance of MLK. And there were a lot of folks that are members of Ebenezer that came away that day being Chris Carr fans.
3: Well, Heath Garrett has spoken, too. You mentioned Senator Isonson, but Heath uh, has also Regular spoken panelist up. Regular Oh, on yeah, show. one of the panelists here. So he's spoken up in support as well. But be a tie Stone Mountain to Moore's Ford. Yeah. They're connected. Yeah. The Martin Ku Klux Klan was reborn at Stone Mountain. That whole effort to reestablish... Go ahead, Bill. I'll no, start.
1: because because we're going to make another connection. Not only is Moore's Ford Bridge connected to Stone Mountain, but so is the founding of the Klan to what happened in Marietta, Georgia, when Leo Frank was lynched. Because it was in the aftermath of Leo Frank's lynching, right, Sam, that the modern Klan was born on top of Stone Mountain. All those connections come together in this conversation.
3: Which is why. And people look at me, some of them. If we tell the truth if around some of the monuments, then we can learn from it. We will be heartbroken to know the truth. There's not a historical marker that designates Stone Mountain as the birthplace of the Martin Klukas Klan.
0: Yes, and children, mm-hmm. the children of our future, deserve the right to see everything and you to know, learn
2: from it. I'm, I'm reminded of Herman Russell's autobiography. That talked about how MLK at various times and his family could not sleep at their house for fear that it was going to yes. be uh, put on fire by the Klan um, and the trials and tribulations of him having his mission and keeping his family safe. I think young people also don't realize the, the simple day in and day out fear of African-American leadership that sought to say we could have a better world.
3: And when we talk about lynching, I just got to say this, Bill. It was not just black victims. Mm-hmm. If you think about the three civil oh, yeah. rights workers in mm-hmm. Philadelphia, Mississippi, one was Jewish, one was white, and then one African-American, Baula Leoso. All of these individuals, a, not... a
1: white woman who went to uh, uh, to, to march uh, yes. and Selma to Mon- yes. the Mark- Montgomery and, march, and Go white ahead. men
0: who tried to help others. There are a couple of instances where they were lynched too. There Absolutely. are some.
1: There are these tiny little things that remind us how sensitive our past can be, and how much we have to be conscious of it at all times, Audrey. And I mention this now because um, Drew Ferguson. Uh, it was reminded of that in an, in, in an incident that took place in his office just this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had visitors from a federal labor union who came to see him about an issue. And they noticed that on display, among other memorabilia in the office, was a uh, biography of General Robert E. Lee, soldier, citizen and Christian patriot. And they were offended to see that book uh, in a congressman's uh, uh, collection of memorabilia but what happened
0: Well um well what happened is Drew Ferguson was very mortified by that and apologized at least 15 times we were listening um on CNN where he was addressing it again I did talk to someone who has And worked, he took they took yes. the book and off they got, the shelf and, yes.
2: immediately Washington's
0: hair there's a lock of Washington's hair there and it's still there but <laughs> but it just tells you when you are a public figure and and you have you should Recognize that some of the things that you may have on display can be harmful or hurtful, but at the same time, maybe there was uh, an overreaction. Perhaps, Thurman to the apparently
1: fact? doesn't think you're a historian. You do you think that book shouldn't have been taken off the shelf?
3: Well, I've read books dealing with Confederate history. Let me just be clear, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, you can't really study and write about the Civil War. Unless you spend some time reading, researching about, well, the there's between
1: reading a book and putting it out on display. Perhaps, well, all right, it's in my library. But let me tell
3: you one thing I've learned from yeah. s- about Robert E. Lee. <laughs> yeah, he was the one who advocated abolishing slavery and allowing black southerners to fight. The Confederate Congress opposed it and consequently led to the demise of the South, which was a great
1: thing. Michael Thurman, you got the last word in that segment. we got to get to another break. When we come back, we've got a lot more to still talk about
0: on the next Fresh Air, how Russian-style kleptocracy has infiltrated the U.S. We talk with Franklin Ford, national correspondent for The Atlantic. We'll also discuss the latest news about the Mueller investigation and Paul Manafort for his article about Manafort is nominated for a National Magazine Award. Join us.
1: Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 here on GPB, and you can listen online at gpbnews.org. <laughs>
2: Down, John Nelson here from GPB Sports, reminding you that in Georgia, the four seasons are not winter, spring, summer, and fall. It is football, spring football, Cruton, and National Signing Day on the Football Fridays in Georgia podcast. We'll tell you the stories on and off the field. Subscribe at gpb.org forward slash sports and wherever your favorite podcasts are found.
1: I hope you're watching on Facebook Live because Sam Olins who is about as, you know, as coordinated up as you can, well, there was that, but also about as buttoned up a political leader as you can get, was rocking out to the music in that break. That was wonderful to watch, Sam. I can't wait to see you at the next bar mitzvah we both go to. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So Sam Mullins is here. Michael Thurman is here. Audrey Haynes from the University of Georgia is here. I, I want to tell you in the in the opening of the show, I said we we're going to talk about David Ralston warning his fellow Republicans that uh, they better be careful about how far to the right they go, because if they go too far to the right, they're going to continue to lose ground in North Metro Atlanta. I'm going to park that conversation and bring it onto Friday's show. OK, because but I'm
3: not here Friday.
1: OK. <laughs> Let's move on, because you, you and Sam particularly can talk about something that I think you both are really uh, uh, plugged into. Uh, Sam, we, we, Charlotte Nash, the Gwinnett County uh, chair, is going to come on the show in a couple of weeks, largely thanks to your uh, suggesting we bring her in here. She's been a leader in uh, this whole effort uh, to get Gwinnett to vote, to expand MARTA into Uh, their county, it's been controversial forever, and uh, now they seem to be moving in in that direction. You come from a county where they're not able to move that way or haven't been able to. What do you think about what Charlotte Nash is
2: doing up there? Oh, I adore her. I I think she's an outstanding local government leader. I think that uh, her political skills are fantastic. I think it will, I hope, succeed to bring MARTA to Gwinnett County Uh, It's way past time for it to be throughout our region, and uh, it's my hope that with a coordinated campaign, everyone will be celebrating.
1: What did you learn in in watching the the problems that Cobb has had over the years in an expansion of MARTA? What can you take away from the experience there that will help inform how they succeed if they're going to
2: in Gwinnett? Look, I, I made two agreements with MARTA when I was chair. We brought MARTA into the transfer station at Cumberland Mall uh, and we expanded uh, paratransit service where uh, we let the closest paratransit vehicle take care of the individual rather than whether it was a cob or a MARTA vehicle. They both were unanimous votes. What I learned a long time ago was in local government, if you actually respect your constituents, and you improve the quality of life for your constituents, you'll do quite fine. And yet it's
1: still controversial in Cobb County, and Cobb isn't voting on bringing MARTA in. Well, I wish they were. Okay, I got you. Mike Thurman, you have, you know, your county has been part of Marty Marta from the very start, been Mass paying President into
3: Pioneers.
1: it. Uh, so is Gwinnett, are, are they going to expand it to Gwinnett? And what is that? Why is that significant to all of us who don't live in those of us who don't live in Gwinnett County?
3: Well, thank you. I celebrate the men and women of vision who 50 years ago supported MARTA. Just think how difficult it was 50 years ago if it's still a challenging <laughs> call co- co- today. And we don't celebrate them enough. They rose above race and class and did the right thing. And it's had huge positive impacts in DeKalb. What's interesting in Gwinnett are the political dynamics. It will fail or succeed primarily based on Democratic voters, mm. right? So now, Charlie Lady Nash, who's a brilliant leader, and the other Republican leaders are having to work closely with the Democratic leaders and voters to assure passage. So people like Representative Dewey McLean, uh, Stacey Abrams out in Gwinnett endorsing the referendum yesterday.
2: That's what's unique and and interesting for me to watch. Um, Mike, I couldn't pass a splost without reaching out to the Democrat community and getting their support. and,
3: and, And that's what it comes down to. But what Mr. Olin just said, it's so difficult for some people who wear suits like we do to do the right thing. They'd rather lose and reach out to people who can help them win. You see it happen time and time and time again.
1: Okay, but again, let me ask you again, if I may, it, why is it significant in a larger way whether Gwinnett does or doesn't vote for Marta?
3: You know, I'm on the ATL board, so I, I, I get it. It's a huge piece in terms of developing a regional transportation system. If we, and I said we, although I'm not a Gwinnett resident, but if Gwinnett, if the referendum passes... That will open up the door and make Cobb possible, I believe, or, not, uh, or Henry County or Douglas County. So this is a key component of building this regional transportation system. And I support it, and I'm, I'm wishing them well.
1: You know, uh, Audrey, it's fascinating to me that, uh, to some extent, uh, public transit, I think, has a lot to do with your DNA. Uh, I grew up in Chicago. I lived on the on uh, on CTA buses on the on the, on the L uh, when I go to New York when I take took used to take my children to New York to London to Paris wherever they would say to me wow this is so wonderful we get to go everywhere on a on a subway and so I get it if you've grown up here in Georgia you're a little less likely to understand why it's such a great freeing thing to yes. have
0: public transit. Well, plus you love your car and you think your car yeah. is the frame thing. And yeah. you have suburb- suburbs built around cars. I mean, the neighborhood I live in, we don't even have sidewalks. You're, I guess you drive to your next door neighbor's house.
2: You know, <laughs> you know j- just to have children that are teenagers or older, they get it. Yeah, They want the expanded transit. And guess what? Those companies that the millennials are going to work for, they want yeah. the transit.
1: Right. We are uh, really just out, about out of time. But I didn't want to miss the opportunity to have two uh, county leaders sitting at the table To mention Gwinnett and hear your thoughts about it, Uh, that early voting on that referendum, I think, begins right at the end of this month, right before Charlotte Nash comes in. She'll be here on a show in about two weeks. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out.
3: Absolutely. And one thing I encourage all leaders to do is to make decisions that 50 years from now, people will look back and say, that was brilliant. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> All right. Amen. That's
1: what you really want. That's Michael Thurman, the CEO of DeKalb County. Sitting across from him today, Sam Olins, former attorney general of the state of Georgia, and our friend Audrey Haynes, who comes in from Athens to do this show. It's so shows.
0: wonderful for these guys.
1: <laughs> We're glad to have you as you uh, know, Audrey, your uh, successor, Chris Carr. Attorney General of Georgia joins us on Friday to talk about Stone Mountain, to talk about this uh, criminal uh, information against uh, because of an Open Records Act in the city of Atlanta, a first. We'll talk to him about that as well, and we'll look at all the other top headlines in political news. See you all Friday at 2.